Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Good morning. We're covering the book of Ephesians. It's a letter that Paul wrote uh, while in prison to the Ephesian church. If you remember, Ephesus is on the other side of the Asian Sea. You have Athens, Greece. Then you have Corinth. And then over the Asian Sea, like this, right here, across, across this way, you have then Ephesus. Ephesus is accessible through Istanbul. Uh, you fly close to Ephesus, and then you get a bus, and you go to the ruins of the city of Ephesus. In the time of Paul, it was a 250,000 metropolis, and built with the most, most beautiful uh, marble uh, from Africa, blue marble, columns of 40 feet high that were made out of blue marble. And uh, it's just quite a place. The homes were sumptuous, bathrooms everywhere, showers everywhere. And, uh, and of course, uh, the Roman Empire ruled and reigned in those days. So Paul from Rome says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk, a worthy, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. So let me put that in English a little bit. It says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Well, I must confess to you that I have failed on that uh, in many ways. But at the same time, I'm committed not to die and to do better and to continue. And uh, the way to do this is to understand what uh, verse 2 says. So, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have. You know, a call can be a very powerful call to reach thousands. And when you have experienced a call this way, it's very difficult for you to get away and do anything less. Because the greater the call, the most difficult the call, greater the fruits. And when you are accustomed to the fruits being so many, uh, you do anything you can not, not to stop it. And so, Paul begins to talk on how to be able to have a life like that. And you live the call, uh, you live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And how do you live it? Then he has three things. You know, in Rome, there's a little church there and three little fountains. And it's St. Paul's Church. Is there even today where Paul talks in threes all the time. And the three here is without lowliness, meekness, and long-suffering. Now these are pretty fat words because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, not, 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 not so easy to, to understand that. But let's deal with it a little bit. A call, a walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Or, one more time, live a life worthy of the calling you have. And uh, 
I told you I have failed in many ways. And of course, every single preacher would say that in some way they have failed. But I am called to move forward because there is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. And as I continue to live, I hope that I'll be able to do a better job as I get older and continue to serve the Lord. And so, uh, forbearing one another in love. So, lowliness, meekness, and long-suffering are the three things that you do your call. And then he brings in the people, forbearing one another in love, meaning that the call that is worthy involves a lot of people. In other words, a call that God has given you involves a lot of people. I know that you're probably just directing the choir. I know that you play the guitar. I know that you do a little bit of visitation at night on the phone. But uh, a call increases as God begins to use you to reach others. And, uh, and uh, when you have meek, lowliness, meekness, and long-suffering, and you're forbearing another, one another in love, that multiplies, continues to multiply. The greater you serve, the greater the multiplication. More people. Amen? More people. Now, let's take a look at that. And uh, I want to I show you this. Paul here talks about to the Ephesians the, the idea to live a life worthy. So a Christian belief, what you believe, comes before how you live it. The way you believe can change the way you live. Now, you probably say, Rick, but uh, do you mean that uh, if I believe more, I will live better? Yes. It doesn't mean you're not going to sin. You're going to have to get used to sin because that's what uh, you are being brought out of it into the kingdom of God, into righteousness, in the process of uh, live under His righteousness. You know, Paul talks about he who practices righteousness is right. So you're going to have bumps and roads and accidents and all kinds of things. But the more you believe the basic truth of the gospel, the greater possibility that your life uh, is going to mean a lot to a lot of people. You know, somebody said to me uh, in Atlanta this last week, Rick, you have a ministry that influenced thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Well, I, I certainly haven't done it myself. I, I really don't have any, I, I cannot receive any credit. Uh, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I, I'd be burned to crisp. But, because I persisted on the call, then he multiplies the fruits. Many of Paul's letters have this similar format, which is, you believe right, you live right. You believe right, you live right. And so, it's a very uh, interesting... Now, let me show you an example of that. For instance, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. What do you mean by that? Because God has mercy upon your life, you should then offer your body as a living sacrifice. Now, it can't be done unless there's mercy. (laughs) 
Now, some people don't understand mercy now. I'm talking about they live in a state in mind of condemnation. They accuse, they accuse, they accuse. They live to accuse. Especially when you have a problem in your life in the early days and you now pass it on to everybody else. And so you can't do all of this right belief, right living without mercy. Hey, you can't do it. Why? Because you cannot offer your body as a living sacrifice if everything in your life has to do what has happened. If what has happened in your life has precedent over you, might as well pack up and leave and go to play shuffleboard in Fort Lauderdale. And see, then it says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the reading of your mind. Then you're able to know that His will pleasing and perfect will. So, so in other words, Paul is saying, for by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, meekness, humility. You can see it coming out of the out of, out of the pages of Ephesians chapter four. For just as each of us has one body and many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Meaning that the whole thing about the mercy of God involves a lot of people. If you follow in me, you're going to be disappointed. You follow Christ, you're going to win. So in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So let's go back to, uh, uh, to, uh, to what he means by this then. He says, he says this, okay, which is kind of interesting. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have that involves many members and many people. You just be, 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 have humility, have long-suffering, uh, have uh, meekness and lowliness, and, and try to get the act together. Try to increase your belief so you can live the thing that you believe. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, because there's a lot of people around you all the time. Now, this is Paul saying to you, that each member belongs to, to all of the others, meaning that a call involves a lot of people. And if you are called of God, and you're trying to preach the gospel, uh, and there's no fruits, there's no growth, there's no dimension of, of fruit in people that receive it, then you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong call. How do I know I'm in the right call? Because the fruits are here. It's not how good I am. It's not how perfect I am. It's how great the mercy of God is. And if the mercy of God is greater than my sin, then my life is worthy of call. All of us are like that. And I'm talking to many of you pastors and leaders that, uh, that uh, look at the past and you are not able to do nothing else because you're condemned. Anything that based on condemnation is not of God, it's of the devil. Listen to me. Anything that is based on condemnation is of the devil. It's not of God. So, how do you then uh, understand all of this? Well, Francis Thompson, famous poem, one who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. First Peter 2.9 And so, as a result, you're adopted in God's family, you're grafted into the family. You know, you, 
You graft it. There's a steam right here. And the graft comes in and rolls around the steam and rolls around the steam and put a little, a little, a little piece of uh, cloth to hold it. And suddenly, oh my goodness, it begins to grow and you graft into the vine. You graft it into this perfect life within Christ. Okay? Now, I've said this and I'll say it again. All of us that have a call, come from humble beginnings. Anybody with a call come from humble beginnings. Take a look at the apostles. Take a look at the prophets. Take a look at the Bible and the Old Testament. You're going to find people who were nothing and God brought them out. So sometimes Christians have this idea that I'm not important. I'm not with it. I'm, I'm, I'm a very shallow, weak, wimpy person. And, uh, and, uh, and, and I come hard on them. Because that's the beginning. God can use you mightily if you, if you are humble enough to uh, allow Him to mold you. And so life is hard. And when you struggle in living, you learn how to live better. You know, Paul said, right belief, right living. And so, sometimes you have wrong believing, but because of the mercy of God, you have, you have the right living. See, the Lord is so good. He knows you're going to mess up. He knows you're not going to get it right all the time. And so, uh, now here's an example of this, okay? It's in 1 Corinthians 26 to 29. And he says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. <laughs> I, was, I was 12 years old. And I went into a soccer camp in Rio de Janeiro, a campamento clay, Camp Clay, the middle of the city of Rio de Janeiro, a big lake, a cross lit in the middle of the lake. And I got my, 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 my up bunk upper head of the bunk, bunk bed with a bunch of kids in the room, and, uh, and I went to the chapel, and the men made an invitation to receive Christ, and I got up and went forward. My, my heart is bumping out of my T-shirt. I mean, I, I could feel it. I was so nervous. I was the only one who came forward out of 200 kids. And I received Christ that day. And about two years from there, at the age of 14, I was taken to Brasilia, Brazil, to be a youth director and work with the children. Ended up to be the preacher. And I preached my sermons, just horrible sermons. You know, I put Jesus on top of the tree and Zacchaeus down. I mean, that was a mess. Okay? I mean, I made a mess. But, look, that's my humble beginning. And here I am at the age of 77 years old, young and good looking. <laughs> Looking forward to another 20 years of serving the Lord. And so, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you. I was dumb as a doornail. Not many were influential. Not really. I didn't know nobody, nothing. And I felt like I swam the river. I felt like I didn't belong. You know, people look at you and say, you're from Brazil, you know, you're, you're ethnic minority. I like to kill the guy who invented that word. Excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> I just see. Not many were of noble birth. You know, my father was a Brazilian. My mother was a Dutch woman. 
My father was short. My mother was tall. My dad was sort of funny looking. You know, no neck. Short, five, five, two, five, three. Big old bulky man. My mother had blue eyes and beautiful, beautiful, tall. A foot taller than my dad. And she stood close to him and him. And my mother. And the two were so beautiful. You know, I have a picture of them where my mother has to sit. So she'd be the same size as my dad. But man, they were the best parents in the world. I wasn't of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. <clears throat> God chose the lowly things of, the, of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify things that are so that no one may boast before Him. So you can't figure God out. You can't figure Him because He, he simply has the ability to make somebody that is literally nothing something beautiful. And I don't want to speak to you today. You in China, you in Japan, you in Korea, you in Asia, you across the world to England and all the countries that this ministry ministered to, 102 countries, uh, listen to this program. And I'm saying to you, I don't know what the world has said you are, but I tell you, you are precious to God. You are precious to Him. He has a plan for your life. And, uh, and I, I keep on saying, so a life worthy living for God produces three things. The first one is humility. Mainly because after you learn that you're nobody, and God does something, you don't want to have any pride. I tell people, you know, I have an automatic low self-esteem in my life. And it balances out my pride. When I get to think that I'm sort of a, you know, anything important, my, <laughs> my low self-esteem, bring it down. Meaning, 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 I don't give much credit to who I am. And that brings humility. Humility is self-esteem or evaluation of oneself. Well, I've been examining me. You know, I have a nice nose. I have beautiful eyes right there. You know, I have a face. You know, and uh, I look young. You know, if you see my face, there's nothing hanging. You noticed it? Nothing hanging. Look, look, look. I've been looking at the internet for 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 you know people who wants to get married just to have a laughter, just to enjoy the day by myself in my house. I'm just I do anything to fill the moment. And I said, 77 years old in the return of five ladies who look like 95. And, <laughs> and they look like they've been through the meal. All of them. But don't you think I look good? Look, it's a beautiful head right there. And there's a face right here. See? Okay. Now, humility is what you think of yourself. So I think I look young. But it doesn't go any farther than that. I'm not saying to you that I'm the best preacher, I'm the best singer, I'm the best this and the best that. I'm not. I'm just a, just a piece of my father built up into an evangelistic heart. And I am zealous for what God tells me to do. And so in the early days of my ministry, they introduced me as Crazy Rick. <laughs> 
we have with us a crazy evangelist. You know, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, but they were so dumb and so, and so blind, they couldn't recognize the Holy Spirit. If God showed up, they would probably ask Him to go change clothing. Humbleness, humility, is something that uh, negative or positive can decide who you are. You've got to know who you are. You've got to know who you are. Don't, don't keep on looking yourself down all the time as if you're not important or you just, you just don't, don't matter. And when you begin to feel like that, your body reacts. As you think it in your mind, so you are in your heart. So I say I'm good looking. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, I... <laughs> I've, listen, I saw old people, I'll tell you, they look old, but they're beautiful in their own way. But I'm not going to marry none of them. Period. Amen. Second, gentleness. Gentleness is concern for people in their need to be loved and treated with dignity. Concern for people in their need to be loved and treated with dignity. Gentleness. It's a gift. You know, I, I certainly don't have much of that. Uh, I was in Bible study this last week, and I said something about this. And after the Bible study was over, we all stood together talking. And, and David Nutter said, Rick, I was broke. I didn't have any money. You met me in a church, and you came to me, and you prophesied the money. The money came the next day, and I'll never forget as long as I live. There was gentleness in your approach. Yes, when the Holy Spirit does things in your life, you're gentle. But I have a driven personality. Meaning, I just uh, want to serve the Lord kamikaze style. You know, if I was in the World War II, I'd be on a plane, Japanese plane, going down on a boat somewhere. Kamikaze. I just love to just get into trouble and, and just shake everything. And, and uh, <laughs> last time I went to Israel, I baptized people in the Jordan. And I didn't quite gently lay them down. I just block them down. Them. Now remember, a lady from Africa came in. And she said, I don't have a group, and I want you to be baptized. Can you please baptize? And I did. And I picked her hand up, and I rolled down, down, down there. And she took off, and uh, I thought she drowned. Until I looked way down there on the river, and she's swimming. Away. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And uh, I'll never forget that. Uh, I, I want to learn gentleness. You know, because I work with women. And women love gentleness. How you been today? Good to see you. Can I do something for you? You know what I'm saying? Now, when you deal with men, you can just kick a little bit, but I need gentleness. And then patience. Now, patience is love, tolerance of people. <laughs> Loving tolerance of people. Because some people, man, it's hard to be loving to them, including oneself and their weakness and foibles. You know what foible means? Minor weakness. And so, loving tolerance of people. Notice that in patience there's people, in gentleness there's people, in humility there's people. So the call worthy of the call you have and to live it, it involves people. If you don't know how to deal with people, you got yourself a heap of trouble. And, and because you, you, you're not, you're not in, in other words, you live by yourself, you want to be by yourself, you want to lock yourself in a house, you, you, you have this privacy of yourself, you don't meet anybody, you're just a, just a person that's been called to pay attention to yourself. 
That has to be corrected. If you don't correct that, God cannot use you in the full extent of a call. And so today, as we look at our mailing list and the thousands of people that we are in contact with, uh, what a blessing to know that I had enough humility, enough, enough gentleness, enough patience to be able to learn a life worth living for God. I'm so pleased, so happy with that. Amen? All right, let's move next. We have about six minutes. Verse 4. Verse 4. There is one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. Let's take a look. There's one body. It's a church. No matter the manifestations, including traditions and, and denominations, okay, the call involves the whole body. <coughs> the call involves the whole body. When I go to Brazil and I preach into a certain area down there, the nuns of the Catholic Church come to hear me. And I love to see them because they're really committed people. The church is worldwide. And it's one body. And uh, it's not just one denomination. So one body here means the, the universal church. When we, when we uh, uh, do the, the Apostles' Creed, we, we, we use the term universal. Okay? There's one Spirit of God. Not a separate Spirit to deal with uh, a word of prophecy here or a word of knowledge here. All members of the body are called in the same future, now already in part, meaning that is one Spirit of God, Holy Spirit. When this, this Spirit of God is working in your life, you are in the midst of the body. If you are in the midst of the body, you are deeply involved into meekness and lowliness uh, and forbearing one another and tenderness and gentleness in the spirit realm. And that's how your call is evaluated. Nothing like a preacher who is mad all the time. Nothing like a preacher who just, who just don't pay attention to people's needs. Nothing like a preacher who preaches to his own need all the time. And so, so number five, verse five. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's referring to this baptism here as believers baptized in Christ. What He has done at the cross has nothing to do with water baptism or baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is the term baptism is to is to be engraved and engrafted into 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 one faith and believing one Lord. Okay. Then verse six: one God and Father of all. Now Jesus, the Father of the redeemed only. Notice that one God and Father of all to the redeemed. The unsaved has no father. The unsaved don't know God. In John 8, 44, John says, You belong to your father, not the father God who created the heavens and the earth, but the fa your father the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and holds not the truth, for there's no truth in him. And so, John eight forty four says, There's people that are under the father, the eternal God, the father of all creation. And there's people who simply have the father the devil. Verse 7, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of God. Oh, boy, that's a mouthful. Oh, dear Jesus, that's a mouthful. It's important truth 
implicitly on verse 7 that God does not give gifts on the basis of race or social status. Let me read it again. But unto every one of us, Greeks, Jews, Gentiles, every form, every part. When the baptism of the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, the whole world has represented Medes and Edomites and, and all kinds of nations from across the world came to Jerusalem for the Pentecost coming down of the Holy Spirit upon us. And so this is saying that uh, they are distributed equally to each of us. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of God. Now, each of us, they are distributed equally to each of us. And the basis is Christ apportioned, meaning the measure of the gift of Christ. Literally, literally, you measure what you got to what Jesus got. You receive what you got because Jesus received. You speak of what you have because Jesus spoke. And, and, and so you, you measure the gift of Christ to us is fully, completely. In other words, diversity is grounded in unity. For the, for the entire body is involved. So when you look at 1 Corinthians 12, 11, it says, He who distributes them to each, just as he determines, while here is Christ who is sovereign controlling of the gifts, the very term of spiritual gifts is charisma. I mean, he, he gives, he holds them, he empowers them. What he empowers for what purpose? To make your call worthy of the calling. To make your life worthy of the calling you have received. It's impossible for you to have a calling without the gifts of the Holy Spirit. and Without the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. You've been trying. You're not getting anywhere. But when you begin to prophesy. When you begin to speak boldly. When you begin to say, come Lord Jesus. Come Holy Spirit. It begins to happen. When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. I pray, Lord God, today that you bless my brothers that are listening to me, God. I pray that you bestow upon them the power of the Holy Spirit of God to fulfill their ministry. And Lord, I come against every spirit of condemnation, every spirit of accusation, every spirit that tries to defeat and to discourage us. And I ask you, Lord, that my brothers and my sisters today live a life worthy of the call they have received. In Jesus' name. Estrela alva brilha em mim, brilha a luz. 